Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. It's funny, you know, when you sit at the... Um, when you sit at the beginning of the summer or even back in uh, May-June time and we sat around the table and discussed what we would do over the summer, like a summer series, and um, came up with the idea of going through Mark, trying to figure out a, a title, of course, we realized it's the book of the servant and all of that. And then I was thinking yesterday and, and this afternoon as well, it's hard to believe we're at the end of the series, next Sunday is our family, son, family service on the Sunday morning, just one service on the Sunday morning, half 11, and then our 6.30 is our encounter night. And then the following week, believe it or not, we're into vision, we're into September, and into our whole vision startup for the season. So it is kind of scary, isn't it? And um, all the kids are so looking forward to going back to school, and the girls are, and the boys aren't. Usually that's what happens, but... Um, so what I wanted to do tonight, my topic tonight was Gethsemane and Calvary. So basically, the last but one, chapters 14 and 15 of Mark, chapter 16 is the resurrection and ascension, but chapters 14 and 15 of the book of Mark. I'd love you to earmark it and read it. It's a very, very powerful, profound passage. I have to say I was quite daunted studying it again this week. And, and it's one of those ones that you just never actually get used to, the, the, the pain and the agony that, 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 that Christ endured. And so I tried to figure out how I would condense the two into one and do it in around 35 minutes or so, you hope. And, um, and, and I thought that what I'd do, I'd, I want to write a word up that I think everybody in the room will be familiar with. And, and this word, um, yeah, let's write it up. That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about pain, all right? All of us understand pain, don't we? From we're young till we're old, pain is something in life that all of us um, understand. And so when we come to chapter 14 of the book of Mark, so we're in, in around page 46, I think it is, page 46, 47, we're going to be referring to some verses there. I'll have them on the screen as well. But we're in the final hours of Jesus' life. David did a phenomenal job. We've had some great teaching over the summer, haven't we? We've, uh, yeah, we've just had brilliant teaching. It's been amazing to see all the guys and girls up here giving it all. And David was no exception this morning. Just beautiful um, to hear of the triumphal entry of Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem on his donkey. And so we're in the final hours of Jesus' life. A woman has anointed him with oil, with this expensive ointment. Judas has, one of the twelve apostles, one of his closest, has nipped off to make a deal with the um, hierarchy to sell him out. He has gone and he has sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a slave. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper, which we uh, remembered this morning as we communed together with the bread and with the cup um, in Mark 14, verse 26. And then Jesus and his disciples are heading, they're walking to the, the Mount of Olives, and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples at this time. And um, sorry, I'm on a little 
waffle here, but it's, it's interesting when you, when you see where things happen. So, for instance, they reckon this is where Jesus, at this point, on the road to the Mount of Olives, this is the point where Jesus would have um, said that great thing from John 15, he is the vine, uh, I am the vine, and you're the branches. This, this would have... Now, we, we, we read that and we think it's just a flippant statement, but they reckon that this is probably that Jesus was walking past the gates of Herod's temple. Now, the, Her- the gate of Herod's temple would have been closed because it was Passover, and on the, ins- the insignia on the gates of the temple would have been the vine, which they, the, all Jewish people would have known Israel was the vine. So Jesus is, even at this stage, is playing with their minds. He's saying, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And then he says, of course, he says, you are the branches. And this is the sort of stuff that Jesus would have been doing. And he's on the way to the Mount of Olives, and he's telling them that, uh, the fulfillment of Scripture that he's saying the shepherd is going to be struck and the sheep are going to be scattered. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm the shepherd. I'm going to be struck down, and you, the sheep, are going to scatter. Of course, the, the disciples all emphatically deny that this could ever happen. They're even saying, this will never happen. We would never betray you. We will never, even if it costs us our lives, we will never go. And of course, we know the story. And, and, and all of them are, 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 are sort of bantering with him at this time. And we cannot comprehend the pressure that Jesus is under at this moment of time. He knows he's about to die, and he knows he's about to die a very, very painful death. He knows this. We know this. We quoted this verse this morning around the table in Philippians 2, where it says that he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Not any old death, not any, any just normal death. This was, this was even the death of the cross, knowing that this would be prolonged, knowing that his agony and his torture would be dragged out as long as it could going by Passover hours. And um, he knew this was all ahead of him. And, and Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, details the horrifying pain. I'm sure you saw it, the anguish that Jesus suffered in the final hours of his life. And people of all cultures and races have looked in alarm with disbelief on the vivid um, depiction that Gibson done so well of the sacred story that's relentlessly played out and, and growing increasingly more bloody and intense as the movie went on. It's a, it stirred controversy all around the world. But many people prefer to think of Jesus not like that. We prefer to think of the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We find comfort in the loving shepherd of Israel, the Jesus who would take the little boy or little girl on his knee and bless them, the, the, the Jesus who would feed the hungry, the Jesus who would speak softly about a kingdom not of this world. Few dare to go further. They dare not to... To, they, they resist um, even taking in the inconceivable pain, the, the desperate humiliation that ended in a horrible death at the hands of, of unjust men who were just bent on cursing and on cruelty and on violence and murder. No one wishes to dwell in such unholy uh, evil. But that's precisely how the Scriptures portray him. This is what they call him. Isaiah calls him the man of sorrows. 
and acquainted with grief. Man of sorrows. The Bible gives him some great names. The Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. The Bible calls him the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about him being the true vine that we've just talked about in John 15. We know him as the good shepherd. We know him as the great physician. We know him as the morning star, as the land of Judah, as the lamb of God. On and on we could go, but man of sorrows, that doesn't sound like someone you'd want to invite to dinner. Like if you said we're, the Prince of Peace is coming to dinner tonight, that would be amazing. But if you said man of sorrows is coming for dinner tonight, you'd be thinking, oh no, man of sorrows, what, what a name for the Son of God who came. Incredible, isn't it? Ruin sinners to reclaim. The hymn writer got it dead right, didn't he, when he said, hallelujah, what a Savior. And until we find ourselves in the, in the crucible of the, stuff, the tough stuff of pain, enveloped in a world of hurt, broken uh, uh, by life's brutal blows, we discover he is everything we need. In him is everything we need. And long before Mel Gibson made his movie on the passion of the Christ, um, Isaiah wrote his original script, you see. That's where he got it. He got it right out of the book of Isaiah. And it would serve us well uh, as the basis of this drama unfolds. Nearly eight centuries before, Isaiah took his pen and this is what he wrote. Let's read slowly through the penetrating words of the prophet Isaiah. Here they are on the screen. I'll read them for you. He was despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of, his, of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. He goes on and he says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. He said, But the Lord was pleased to crush him. That's verse 10. That's a scary verse, isn't it? But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many as he will bear their iniquities. Doesn't sound like the victorious Messiah to me. Doesn't sound like this person who would come in and change our world at this particular moment of time. Look again at Isaiah's words, despised, grief, sorrow, crushed, oppressed, afflicted, pierced through, smitten, stricken, led like a lamb to the slaughter. Today, we would say about Jesus when it comes to pain, our little line would be, he's been there, done it, and got the t-shirt. When it comes to pain, Jesus has been there, he's done it, and he's got the t-shirt. 
And, and, and we want to see him coming on a white horse. We want to get into Revelation 19. And we want to see him on his white horse with a sword drawn as our champion of the faith. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Um, when he picks it up in chapter 5, he says, In the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, he offered up prayers, both prayers and supplication, with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety, because of his reverence. Can you imagine that in the throes of death, in the moments before crucifixion, Jesus would be in anguish? And he would cry with loud tears, with tears and with a loud voice to the Father, save me, save me, save me. If there's any other way, I find this powerfully comforting. I find this, the Son of God in all his deity and yet so fully human, felt the sting of impending death and called on his heavenly Father for comfort and help. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Now stop and think. All that we've just read and all that we've just said, all of it has to do with pain. All of it has to do with that four-letter word that all of us want to avoid. We want to try and get through life with as little pain and as less pain as we possibly can. I looked up the English Dictionary of Pain. This is what the English Dictionary gives. Webster's gives a little bit more of an elongated um, uh, synopsis of it, but this is the English dictionary. Suffering, agony, affliction, torture, torment, discomfort, soreness, sorrow, grief, heartache, on and on it goes. They're not very powerful words. Well, they are very powerful words, but they're not very comforting words. And Jesus knew uh, such physical and emotional pain, being the man of sorrows that he was, he understands and identifies with the deepest hurts of everybody in the world. And is it any wonder that, that, that if there's anyone that I could introduce you tonight to talk to you about pain, it would be the man of sorrows from Isaiah 53, because he knows everything about it. He knows it in every detail, all right? And he chose to bore it, to bear it, he endured it, and he went through it. So, what I'm going to do tonight, I want to talk to you a little about this thing called pain. Pain isn't all bad, all right? Sometimes it prevents us from doing things. It allows us to find a problem. The book of James tells us that pain actually helps us. Adversity actually helps us to grow, and there's something in that. Uh, and then there's mental pain. There's emotional pain. This is what C.S. Lewis, in a powerful book that I read many years ago called The Problem with Pain, he says that mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also harder to bear. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Sometimes, however, if it persists, the effect of it can be devastating. It's easy to go to the doctor with a pain and say I have a pain in my arm or a pain in my leg or to the dentist and say I've got a pain, but where do you go when you have a broken heart? Where do you go when, when the pain is so, so crucial that you, you wonder where your next breath is going to? You think your diaphragm's about to collapse and your sobs, you just can't seem to get the next breath. Where do you go when the pain's like that? Well, I have good news for you. We go to Jesus, the man of sorrows, because he's acquainted with grief. I remember Jerry saying this to me many years ago, just after Jill died. I remember Jerry saying, quoting me this verse, he 
acquainted with grief. I'd never saw that before, that actually he just didn't bear my sin, but he actually bore my grief, carried my sorrow. So if you're feeling despised and forsaken and rejected and crushed and afflicted, then that's, I want to take you on a little journey tonight. I want to, us to visit Gethsemane, and then I want us to visit um, Calvary, all right? Two very, very interesting places, and we're going to talk a lot. I know it's quite solemn tonight, but we're going to talk a lot about pain, and all of us understand, again, I say, what pain really is. Firstly, I want us to talk about relational pain. Mark 16, or Mark 20, 14, 26 tells us that Jesus and his disciples had just completed their final hymn together, or their final meal together, and you'll see this in, in, your, in your books up at the, the second column of page 46, and they sang a hymn, it tells us, they sang a hymn together, and, 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 and it's been an extremely emotional time for Jesus as he reflected on the torturous anguish that he's about to endure and he's forced to leave behind these men that he'd grown to love over the last three years and, and he'd lived among them so many uh, times. But he needed them to be strong at this moment in time. He needed good friends about him. He needed, this was his moment. This was, he was about to go to the cross and he needed good, strong friends to stick by him. And so this is why he gathers them and it says that he, he went to this place called Gethsemane. I hope you can see that. It says they went to the place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul, he says, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Don't go to sleep. Stay with me, guys. Remain. I think Matthew uses the little... Uh, thing and uh, little word in, in Matthew 26. Remain, stay here, stick with me, guys. I need you at this moment in time. I don't need your advice. I don't need your wisdom. I just need your awakening. I need you to be with me. I need to know that you're here. And, and Gethsemane, the word means oil press, you see. It means a place where oil or the vine, or the, the, the vine press where, where things get crushed. And they got crushed so something could come out of them. Interesting name, Gethsemane. And, and here, this press, pressing pain and this mental agony of the Savior. And all of us, we know, all of us have our own Gethsemanes to bear and to endure. And perhaps you're in the depths of yours right now tonight. And maybe not. Maybe it's for the future, but it will come. And... Uh, Maybe you've passed through one and before you could catch your breath, another one came your way. And it's at those times that really close friends mean the most. And uh, we lean on them and we draw strength from them. And, and this is one of the most intimate scenes in Jesus' life. And he said to them, guys, remain with me. Remain with me. Be a ready source of encouragement and support. I'm going over here to pray, but I'm going to need to know that you're here and you're with me. It says here, it says he goes a little further. He falls to the ground and he prays, if possible, that the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. He said, everything is possible for you. Please, please, please take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. Jesus' pain is so intense that he pleaded with his Father for a way out. 
Incredible, isn't it? Now, let's not hurry over that. Because <laughs> in Luke's gospel, we're told that Jesus prayed with such intensity that sweat dripped from his forehead to the ground like blood, turning to blood, became drops of blood. Now, I, I've went through tough times, and so have you, but I've never sweat blood. And it's oozing from his skin, Luke twenty-two forty-four tells us, and it's fallen to the ground. And drenched in such agony, Jesus returned to his friends in hope of finding some needed encouragement. But in that time, when he needed his friends most, his disciples failed him miserably. They're all sound asleep. You could read carefully the heartbreaking scene if you read in chapter 14 of Mark's gospel from 32 to 41. You would read how three times he came back and all three times he found them out cold, snoozing on the grass. They were exhausted. They were just men. But Jesus needed them. And he knelt in Gethsemane, broken in spirit and betrayed, anguished. His soul was grieving, missing the comfort of those he had mentored and stayed around in their difficult times for three years. And truly alone, he now feels the deep experience of relational pain failed relationships, knowing that his once friend had now become his traitor and was about to betray him. There's no place more alone than one's Gethsemane. No place more alone. Support groups are great. I love them. But they're They're just our personal Gethsemanes that you have to walk through alone. And um, I remember some of mine very vividly. And I remember sitting in my life group. And I remember they were the best group of people I've ever known. But I felt like I was surrounded by a perspex box. And felt that I was just alone, even in a group. And you'll always feel a deep loneliness when you're getting through those tough stuff of pain. But that's when Jesus is there. <laughs> and sometimes you don't even realize it at the time, you know. And your best friends may fail you. Some will try to understand, and often they can't. A few truthfully might forget you, and some actually might even turn against you. That's the way it goes, all right? But in the agony of your need for relational sport, I'm telling you tonight, you love Jesus. And you'll find him at those times closer than a brother. I know he has met me in my personal Gethsemane. And he will meet me again and again as he will with you. But not only did Jesus suffer relational pain, he suffered emotional pain. In spite of the fact that Jesus knew his life would end and, and he would die a horrible death on the cross, even the death of the cross, such knowledge didn't remove this internal emotional agony that he endured when the hour arrived. Jesus had known all along that the cup of suffering would come. He knew it would come his way. And knowing that didn't even fix the intense pain that he was now enduring. When the full weight of Gethsemane landed on him, he pleaded for relief. He pleaded with his father for relief. Have you ever tried to tell somebody what they ought to do in a moment like this. Can I give you a little bit of advice? Don't. Don't. Um, don't invade that 
tender, innermost moment of grief. Because we're all rescuers. We like to rescue people. And people mean well. And the cards mean well. Some of the verses are just downright silly. But they mean well. And... Um, but let's guard ourselves from cutting in on God's plan. Let's not try to fix people. You see, Jesus said, watch and pray, guys. He didn't say, guys, I need loads of advice in here. I need all your opinions about what I'm, how I'm going to handle this. He said, no, 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 no. I just need you to be there. I don't need your advice. You know, there's moments that you just don't need advice because there's no advice to be given. And Laurie and I say this often when we're going to somewhere where there's a, a sudden grief and We'll say to one another, what do we say? And then we come to the conclusion it doesn't really matter what we say because when the dust all settles, nobody really remembers what you said anyway, but they remembered you were there. They'll remember you were there. And so um, my advice to you is your best involvement is to watch and pray. That's what Jesus wanted his disciples to do. Or my little motto is be there. <laughs> Stay near and be silent and be available for support. Not only did he endure relational pain, not only did he endure emotional pain, but he endured physical pain. Physical pain. The brutalities of Jesus' death were so horrific that no one has ever experienced anything like it before or since. And a quick glance at any of the Gospels will show you this. He was seized. He was slapped about. He was punched. He was blindfolded. He was spat upon. They plucked the hairs from his face. On and on it goes. They plaited a crown of mid-eastern thorns, which were probably three to four inches long. They placed him on his brow, and they drove it in with a stick when they hammered him over the head with a stick, driving those thorns deep into his scalp. He was crucified. Spikes were driven through his hands and through his feet. A spear was thrust into his side. He would have been on a cross like this, and every now and again, his, his, his body would get weary, his legs would get weary, and the, almost he would begin to exhaust himself because he couldn't breathe, and he would have to push himself up on the nail of his foot to get a breath, and he would, he would get a breath, and then his legs would begin to sag again, and his weight would go back onto his arms. If anybody ever knew what physical pain was, Jesus knew the pain. Insects would have swarmed around his blood-soaked body, and uh, it must have been horrible to witness, never mind personally enduring it. I'm always amazed at this little verse. It's found in Isaiah 52, and it just preludes Isaiah 53, obviously, and it's just right at the end of chapter 52, and this is what it says. It says that, um, but as many were amazed when they saw him, the author, I says, they were astonished when they saw him. I, I've often thought, and this is just, I've never read this, or this is just my little opinion, but I've always thought this verse lands whenever, remember when Pilate brought him out to the judgment hall, and he was trying to free him at this time. They'd scourged him. They'd, they'd, they'd battered him. They'd placed him a crown of thorns. They'd mocked him. They'd punched him until bones in his body were out of joint. And this verse, the author, I says, his visage was marred more than any man's. 
Here's the way um, the NIV puts it. It says that as many saw him were amazed and his face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human and from his appearance one would scarcely know he was a man. And I've often thought when they brought him out it was the crowd went, (gasps) they couldn't believe what they'd done to Jesus. Even humanity couldn't believe the wickedness of these soldiers and they were astonished he was beyond human recognition so if anybody knows about physical pain it's Jesus so he knows relational pain and he knows emotional pain and he knows physical pain but he knows the pain above all pains a pain that none of us will ever have to endure (laughs) this is beautiful Because of the relational pain, because of the emotional pain, and because of the physical pain, he took a pain upon himself to stop us being lost forever. The Bible says this. It says, um, separated from from his father. Here's what it says. Sorry, that's a little bit light. I didn't realize that was as light on that, so I know you probably can't see it. I'll read it at noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time and the only time. God turned his back on his son and it was at that moment Christ bore all our sin. The Bible actually tells us that not that he just bore our sin but he actually became sin for us. I often think Isaiah 53.10 it's the only place that makes sense to me. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Whenever Jesus became sin that means he became the most despicable, despised, stinking, filthy, rotten thing in the eyes of a holy God, he became it. And the moment he became it, it says it pleased the Lord. It's the only place the verse makes sense to me. It was in that moment that God looked and he didn't see his son. He saw the sin. And Jesus bore it all for you and for me. It's incredible. It's incredible. And Jesus experienced the ultimate being separation from God the Father in absolute loneliness and pain. Jesus screamed at the top of his voice in all the strength he could muster, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me assure you, you can't have a heartache that Jesus doesn't understand or with which he doesn't identify. You can't have a physical pain that somehow escapes his awareness. And you can't have a crippling disease, a disability, a grief, a heart attack, a crippling fear, an anxiety, or a panic attack that he cannot understand or feel. I've only scraped the scrape of the surface tonight, and I think you got the drift. He bore it all. He felt it all. And he's there to walk with you through the profound depths of your pain, if only you'd let him. 
You might have a lingering scar in your heart tonight that won't heal. Look at his hands, his feet. That's what he said to Thomas. You're, go on, Thomas. You're doubting. Put your finger in. Thrust your hand into the side. I've got scars. Feeling humiliated. He, he knows what it's like to be alone. <laughs> Confused by your circumstances and thinking maybe tonight you could end it. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Please don't. There's no need. Without a word in your lips, without a word in your lips, he understands. The Bible says he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. My mom used to say to me, son, if you can't pray, groan. Romans 8 says he takes the very groanings of our heart and he presents them to the Father. So if you can't pray, groan. He can take your moanings and he can present them to the Father with unutterable answers, such as God. Perhaps you're lonely, lost your soulmate, you face an uncertain future, perhaps alone. Perhaps your husband or your wife walked out on you, rejecting you, and went off with someone else. Perhaps rejection haunts you like an impending rash. Relationally, you need something. Internally, you're in anguish. Physically, you've reached your threshold. You can't take much more. You're confused. You're living with deep emotional scars as a result of being abused as a child. You must suffer from some kind of horrible, shameful addiction that you fear rejection if anyone in the room or even your friends might discover your seedy secret and the pain of shame grips your soul and ambushes your thoughts and perhaps you feel empty and helpless and confused and disappointed and depressed and misunderstood and humiliated. Maybe you're just at the end of the rope. And perhaps maybe even you wonder tonight and you say with Jesus of old, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, there is hope and there is help and his name is Jesus. He bore it all so you and I could go free. And relationally, there is no one closer to you at this moment in time than Jesus. He even understands your groanings. He has promised never to leave you, never to walk out on you. No one stays closer than him. No one. Emotionally, no one heals deeper than Jesus. You may say, well, I'll never get over this grief. Yes, you can. Not on your own, but you can. Um, that's where Christ is the master comforter because uh, he's the man of sorrows, you see. And he understands this thing. He, he's the author and he's the giver. And remember, he's intimately acquainted with grief. And he understands what there is to lose because he lost everything for you. <laughs> his, only, his own family thought he was nuts. Um, his friends all deserted him and ran. No one heals deeper than Jesus. And physically, no one comforts more than he comforts. I, I love this. His grace is abundantly sufficient for you. His hand is on your life, and he's better than the hand of any friend, than any partner, than any parent, than any child. When he touches, he brings compassion and relief. I used to say to mom, my dad 
took Alzheimer's at 65, 67, and lived 87. He lived 20 years with it. The last 12 years, he was bedridden. And um, many of you know this. I, 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 my dad was a hefty big man, and, and we had nurses who come in to change him. He was incontinent, and they came in four times a day. And so we had, we as a family, decided that we would um, put a time in our diary. So I had four slots a week for 12 years, um, there were my four slots. I had two back to beds and I had two back two back to beds and two get up in the morning were my four slots. And that's when I would go and help the nurse change him, shower him, put him to bed, get him up. And my mom used to say to me all the time, So I can't understand. Your dad loved the Lord and I can't understand why why God would allow this to happen. And I said, Mom, you know, we 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 because we see through a mirror darkly. We, we just see the uh, thick darkness. We see the frightening pain of reality in the thick darkness. But you see, he sees beyond at the end of the shining light of eternity. <laughs> we're, we're all going to live the lifetime of God. And so the pain that we endure is just for a season. And, and there's something so powerful about this maturity, growth, stability, wisdom, and ultimately the crown of life awaits those who endure. Now, that's pretty cool. And if this was a pretty somber meeting, that's a pretty cool ending. The crown of life endures. And, and all of those who trust his unseen hand, and you need to keep in mind, he owns the map of your life. He wrote it. And, um, and he'll get you through your Gethsemane. And uh, no one sees the benefits of our pain clearer than him. Claire, do you want to come? And we're going to finish with a song. Perhaps you're in the room tonight and you've never actually recognized your need of Christ. Maybe you've never actually realized the stuff that, that Jesus endured for you. Maybe you've never heard this sort of stuff before and your, your, your night, your head's melted and you're thinking, oh, wow. Well, tonight's your night. Tonight's your night to get to know this incredible person called Jesus because he endured all of the pain. And there's a beautiful little verse. Alison reminded me of this um, in the prayer ministry time. And our prayer ministry team are going to be about tonight. And uh, in Isaiah 42, 3, it, it says that uh, a bruised reed he will not break. Hi, William. Good boy. Come on, you stay with me. It says that a bruised reed he will not break. All right? And a smoldering wick he will not break put out. Isn't that amazing? A bruised reed. He's not about to break. And you might be in this room tonight and you feel like you're just a bruised reed. Man, the, the next sneeze is going to blow you over. Well, a bruised reed, he's not about to break. And a smoldering flax, a smoldering wick, the light's almost gone out. There's just a spark. You know what the Bible says? He's not going to snuff that out. That's That's the incredible thing about this. And so what I, I'd love to do, I feel as I, I, I've, I've wept many tears over this message and I felt the pain of, and I felt your pain as I prepared it. And I, I sense tonight that God wants to minister to your pain. And I know we've all got it in some shape or form. And rather than the prayer ministry team being inundated down at the back, I, and I know we didn't set up tonight for, but I'd love us just to, I, I'd love us to respond tonight. I feel there's something about response tonight. 
And I love to pray a prayer. I love to pray the tears that I have wept this week as I prepped this. I'd love to pray those tears over you. And, and if you feel a ministry of that, I've asked our, our prayer ministry team and any of the rest that could be about just to lay a hand on. If you need extra prayer ministry, go to them afterwards. But at this moment in time, as we worship together, I'd love just if you wanted to make your way to the front, if you wanted to kneel down, if you want to stand, do whatever you want. And our ministry team are just going to float about, lay a hand on you as a conduit. You know what a conduit is, where they will lay their hand on you, they'll lift a hand to heaven, and they'll allow God just to minister to you. That's what I've asked them to do. And then when we get a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And I'm believing God tonight for, for hearts to be healed. I'm believing God tonight. I, I, I'm believing God for healing and physically, emotionally, and, and, and relationally tonight. I'm believing God for healing in all of those areas. So are you up for that? Let's stand together and let's pray a moment or two, and then we'll, we'll worship. God... Uh, we, we've tapped into a subject tonight that is ever so prevalent and ever so um, powerful in your economy. You know all about it. We can only imagine the pain of heaven. We can only imagine the pain of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as they met in eternity past. And they planned this thing called mankind and they realized that they would fall. And they said, well, let's do it anyway. And here's the plan. When they fall, you will go and pay the price. Jesus says, I'll go. Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's what Revelation 12 tells us. So before there ever was sin, there was a Savior. This was all planned, foreordained in the, in the analogies of God. And he made you anyway. So he understands pain. And I often think, I often think of what that conversation must, must have entailed. I, I have to imagine there was pain in it. I have to imagine that there was a anguish as they talked about this around the heavenly board table. So God, I pray tonight that as people come forward that you will deal with pain tonight. That you will deal with pain specifically. That you'll deal with the deep issues of the heart and the scars and the abuses and the misunderstandings and the relational breakups and the grief of, of, of a lost child, father, mother, spouse, whatever. God, that you will just, that you will be the master comforter, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Let's worship. Make your way to the front, will you? You're sensing this is for you tonight. Do whatever you need to do tonight. Allow just... I, everything ever I got from God, I responded to. And I, I sense there's something here. I do sense there's something here. And I'm not trying to get a crowd to the front to make it look good. That's immaterial. And I said to Tara at the start, I said, Tara, I'm not dead sure of the way it'll end. And the Holy Spirit works tonight and people get ministered to. That's the way we want it. We just, we're not in it for a show. We're just in it to make sure 
you get a touch from the man of sorrows tonight. So as we worship, if you want to just make your way to the front and, and our ministry team are going to weave in and out and, and minister to you and then I'm going to pray a prayer and we're, going to, we're not going to prolong it and then that's going to be it. All right, thanks, Claire. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk